Ready? I'm ready. What's up? I'm Amanda Costco, and you're listening to the Electric Runway Podcast, a podcast exploring the intersection of fashion and technology. Sorry we missed you last Thursday. I've been bouncing around. Earlier this month, I was at Shop Talk, a conference looking at the future of retail. Last weekend was the Maker Fair Bay Area, and I put up a video on YouTube looking at fashion tech, specifically at Maker Fair. I invite you to check it out on electricrunway.com. Tomorrow, I'm on my way to Augmented World Expo, or AWE for short, the largest event in North America on virtual and augmented reality. I'll be chairing the wearable stage at AWE, and I'm so excited to catch up with some of my friends in the fashion tech community and learn how VR and AR will shape our future. If you're going to be at AWE in Santa Clara and you're working on something new and next in retail tech or fashion, come say hi. I know at the end of last week's episode, we mentioned we were going to have someone from the National Research Council of Canada on. We've delayed that interview due to technical difficulties. We'll have that segment for you later this month. And speaking of next month, things are going to be a little different in terms of format on the Electric Runway podcast for June. I'm traveling throughout Northern Europe to chase fashion tech stories and have an adventure. I'll be speaking in Ulu, Finland and during Berlin Fashion Week on wearable tech and the future of fashion. I'm going to be posting lots of video content on my YouTube channel, but instead of sharing a podcast episode every Thursday, my episodes are going to be sporadic. That said, we have some interviews lined up with some exciting companies in Europe, as well as a conversation later this week with JJ Wilson from Kitten Ace. On today's show, my conversation with Al Link of Creative Art and Technologies. Al is a maker and entrepreneur who recently appeared on America's Greatest Makers, a TV show sponsored by Intel. On the show, Al was competing for prize money to help scale his startup, the Cat Clutch. The Cat Clutch is a purse made of acrylic that displays pixel art on its front. The purse interfaces with your smartphone via Bluetooth technology to allow you to display animations and custom messages. It's a lot of fun. We're going to put up photos on electricrunway.com so you can take a look. In our conversation, Al shares his experience going from a one-off concept piece that he made for his wife to a viable product ready for the consumer market, as well as his thoughts on the relationship between the maker movement and fashion tech. It's an exciting conversation and it starts right now. So Al, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So give us a brief sketch about who you are and what the cat clutch is. Okay, my name is Al Link. My day job is in IT. And in my nights and evenings, I've been working on this LED handbag project. Yeah, so tell us, let's describe the cat clutch as best as possible for listeners. Of course, we'll put images up on our website, electricrunway.com. What's involved in the outside of one of these? And then maybe you can talk about the inside a little bit. Sure, yeah. So it's an evening clutch and it has an embedded LED display. And the idea here is that you can, with your phone, customize the bag to match your style or mood. So we've got a number of LED designs so we can show pretty full feature animations as well as text messages also. And this one, I've never seen this one before. Does that show animations as well? Yeah. I'll just turn it on here. Yeah. Because I've seen that I've been playing around with the white one. Mm -hmm. And then this one's got silver sparkles. The idea is that the clutch interfaces with your phone and you can customize the content that's displayed on it. That's right. So how did you get into this? So actually by accident, my background is tech. So I'm, I'm a techie, you know, we were just at Maker Faire, so that's sort of my scene. And 
prior to this, I did an LED art project, which I called Pixel. And it was really kind of a similar thing, but not a handbag, just something you would hang on your wall. So there's this form of low resolution art called Pixel art. Back in the early 80s, when graphics didn't have much memory, you were very limited to the graphics you could do. So that's this low res thing, which turns out to display quite nice on LED displays. So that was my previous project. And I was just playing around in my lab one day and I had this LED panel that kind of was in the shape of a clutch. And then my wife saw it and she said, well, oh, maybe you should make me an LED bag. So that's, handbag. that's yeah, LED handbag. So that's how it started. So it was your wife who saw what you were working on and what did, is this what she envisioned? Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. The design, a lot of the design came from her. She's more the fashion person. I'm, I'm not a fashion guy. I'm a tech guy. So, kind of took her direction on the design. So she had the first one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She had dibs, and then yeah. like, did she wear it out? How did people react to it? When did you decide to start making more of them? Yeah. So what happened was, so my wife spends a lot of money on handbags, and so a big, you know, I kind of joke, a big portion of my paycheck actually goes to her handbag <laughs> collection, which I still to this day don't understand how women can spend so much money on handbags and have so many because really you just put all your stuff in it. And exactly. it carries it around. Exactly. <laughs> we're, but, we're complicated creatures. Yes. But anyhow, <laughs> now that I know that, I made her one and she would take it out to a movie or a concert or a, a bar. And what happened was all these people would just come up to her. Right. It just turned out to be this incredible conversation starter and people would want to know where did she get it? Where could they buy one? How does it work? You know, we'd give a little demo. We'd get the app out. We'd change the designs. And people were just kind of blown away. Probably fascinated by it, I imagine. Yeah. So so that happened a couple nights. And then, you know, after that, a couple nights of that happening, we thought, yeah, maybe we're on to something and let's let's try to take this farther. So I saw you recently at Maker Festival Bay Area and you were showing the Cat Clutch and a series of, I guess, iterations mm-hmm. of it as it's evolved along right. the way. So what did the Cat Clutch look like in the beginning and what does it look like now? How has it evolved? Yeah, so it's not too much different. You know, so it's made out of acrylic, actually. So maybe I'll talk a little bit about the inspiration from the design. So in the 50s, we had these things called Lucite handbags. So very boxy clutch made out of Lucite, or some people would call it acrylic. So it's a hard shell case design. So that was the design inspiration. The first version, I I hand cut the acrylic myself and glued it together. So, you know, it looked like something you would see at Maker Faire The edges didn't line up and it wasn't centered straight. It it still worked, of course, and the dark light, you can't really tell the difference. But if you looked at it in a day, it would look like a hobbyist put it together. So that was version one. And then it also had a bunch of wires because our electronics weren't streamlined. So wires coming out everywhere. And then over time, we've just streamlined that. We have a custom circuit board now. I have an acrylics fabricator that actually puts the bag together. He does a way better job than I could ever do. He's been doing it for a while, so he does it the right way. Yeah. So it looks nice and clean. And so that's that's where that's where it is right now. And so the hardware is housed on the inside and it still takes up a portion of the inside of the bag, that's but right. you've managed to incorporate that into the design in a really neat way. You have a mirror inside the handbag that sort of hides the all the wires that you said were sticking out before. That's right. So there's that extra feature. I like that extra. I always like extra features inside that are attention to detail design. Mm. Okay, yeah. So we got the mirror and then we had a little extra space. So we turned that into a lipstick slot as well. So gotta have your lipstick. space to stick your lipstick in there. And so you recently took part on a show called America's Greatest Makers with Intel. Tell us a little bit more about that experience. Yeah, so 
The thing about reality TV, this is a, a learning, is it's all about the element of surprise. And so the element of surprise is such a big thing in reality TV. So going into that show, we really didn't have much detail on what the format was. It was the first season. It's not like going on Shark Tank where you can watch the episodes. So we really didn't know what it was going to be about other than it was just a show about makers and maker culture. And the first big surprise was the show also included a three-month hardware accelerator facilitated by UC Berkeley. So the same training you would get, basically Startup 101, that you know if you're some VC-funded startup, you would go through an accelerator program like this. So that was... That was awesome, just from the pure business skills and learning and how to talk to customers and do customer interviews, that was invaluable. The second thing that was really great was just the the new network with the 23 other teams on the show. Because the thing about Makers, part of our culture is we're helping each other. Like we share everything we can, just like you saw at Maker Fair. So even though on the show, yeah, technically we're competing for a million dollars, actually we were helping out. Like if I had a problem, I could ask someone, they would help me and vice versa. And I thought that was a very unique part of the show. And then I think the last thing was just the support from Intel. You know, Intel produced the show. They were a huge part of it. And as one of the benefits, we got direct access to Intel engineers. So on our team, we had an Intel mechanical engineer. We had a user design person. We had a software person. We had a hardware person, so having that direct access to Intel engineers was a huge help. And a lot of what you see right now was a result of that collaboration. And so it was sort of a Shark Tank format in the sense that you eventually yeah. had to pitch your idea. That's right. And they, the investors, the panel of investors, would basically decide whether or not they were going to invest in this. And they, they basically told you to work on it a little bit and then come back. Yeah, in this case, they weren't actually investors. It was just judges, basically. Okay. So they're judging, you know, what, what they think about your the product. The gatekeepers to that million dollars. Yeah. Okay, got yeah. it. So how innovative was it? How well did it use Intel's technology? How well did they like your business model? Those were the primary factors. And what technology of Intel's is inside? So Intel has a thing called a Curie module. Oh, it is Curie, and, okay. Yeah, it's Curie. So it's basically this small chip, low cost, very nice technology for wearables. In your opinion, what do you think is this relationship between the maker movement and what we now have called wearables or fashion tech? Mm. Yeah, so I think that's a really good question. So from my perspective, I think the maker movement is very early stage, right? So it's kind of the first iteration that might eventually turn into a wearable product. And a lot of makers actually are perfectly content to just make something for themselves. So I would say probably 95%, 90% of it is just just like I did. I just made it for my wife and yeah. that's how it started. Or for and a costume or for yeah, a one-off. It's just a one-off. It's a one-off, exactly. Just and something so, fun. And, and most of it is like that. And I think when you get to the point where, you know, maybe you get some feedback or you get some inspiration from someone else that took the plunge and you decide to take it farther and productize, then it goes to that next level. And then, then there's a lot of extra design that you have to do. And a lot of extra components that you have to think about as well that you, yeah. you're not thinking about when you're just making a, a one-off piece. So exactly. let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. What are the challenges in taking something from a concept piece or a costume or a one-off to a consumer product? Yeah. So I guess probably the biggest challenge is money or lack thereof. It's, it's a small, you know, in our case, we're, we're completely bootstrapped. So we're not funded. We're self-funded. But I think the challenge for makers is the reality is you don't just go from zero to 100,000 orders. 
right? You go from zero to 100 to 500 to 1,000. You know, you might get lucky and, and leapfrog, but I think the normal path is to start small. And so when you're just producing 100 pieces, that can get pretty expensive. And if you're lucky enough to find a manufacturer that will work with you and only do 100 pieces, A, that, that's great, but the cost is going to be high. And there's just a lot of work that goes in. You said there's a whole other level of things that you have to do to make that in terms of being able to do a design that's good for manufacturing. Yeah, or if you leapfrog and you grow too fast, I can imagine that's a problem as well because Mm -hmm. you don't have the contracts in place, you haven't worked out all the kinks, you haven't had your first round of beta testers, so that could be a problem as well. So it's not really finding that sweet spot between, I guess, like steady growth and expansion without having it go so fast that you're losing control of it. Right. And so now you've moved forward and you've decided you want to bring these products to market. Who is your target audience? You know, it's a really good question. So when we started this, we thought this is a millennial thing. This is going to be for millennials. It's for young people. They want to be flashy. It's people that go out to clubs. So that was our going in theory. And, you know, I mentioned earlier we did this process through Berkeley as part of the show. And one of the things that they force you to do is get out and talk to customers. And as we did that, what we learned is, yeah, millennials like it, but also baby boomers like it too. And so we got a lot of interest from baby boomers. And the thing with baby boomers is they have a little bit more disposable income than, say, a millennial. So even though millennials like it, it, you know, they don't necessarily have the extra cash to to drop on something like this. And how much would it cost? So right now we're doing an initial run of 100. So we're just starting small to test the market. So those 100 pieces, we're going to sell those for 350. And by the way, if your listeners are interested, we'll talk about it at the end, but we'll have a $50 off coupon code if if someone is interested. Oh, great. Yeah, it's interesting about baby boomers. My parents are baby boomers, and I find that the whole tech revolution just sort of caught them off guard. Like, it happened Mm. so quick. They watched it happening to their kids, but then they just felt really left out of Mm. it in some ways. So my parents are, like, the first people to buy the Apple Watch, the first people to upgrade their phone. And I think it's Mm. because they want to show that they're digital savvy. They're not the baby boomers that have been left behind they've kept up to date and so i think that's something that you can symbolize with technology worn on the body is that you're part of this movement that's happening with light up clothing and yeah it like i said it totally caught us off guard and but i think based on the ones we talked to that's exactly it right you know they want to stay relevant they are fashion forward right so why can't they have something like this and it's a great conversation piece i mean i think that people maybe turn their nose up to the whole light-up clothing thing. But if you go to Paris right now, all of the store windows have light-up shoes because Chanel put out these light-up shoes. Ah, so it's just okay. like it's becoming part of the mainstream hmm. culture right now. So it's, it's really cool to watch. How do you plan to scale the business? You said you have this first limited edition run of 100 that you're yeah. putting out. Yeah. And then from there, you're going to reevaluate? or our, our goal is to delight the 100 customers. Right. And the theory is if we delight those hundred customers and we do it right and we really make uh, a compelling user experience, it's easy to use. Right. That's that's one thing that's really important to us. Those hundred people will tell a hundred other people they'll tell a hundred other friends and it will just grow that way. So that's that's really our plan. I want to talk for a minute about light up attire. We touched on Mm. it just a moment ago. But how do you see light up apparel fitting into the larger retail landscape? Do you think it'll be novelty items only that you can wear out maybe once a month? Or do you see someone wearing something like this every night? Yeah, I, I think it's emerging. So I, I think what I can tell you based on our beta users 
is I can't say they, they take it out every night, but I, I think most nights they're going out to a dinner, a concert, a club. They're, they're taking the bag with them. And I'm sure that it's generating a lot of media from other people who oh, yeah. stop them and want to take a picture of it and want to learn more about it and they want to take a picture with their clutch because it's just it lends itself so nicely to yeah. some of these social media channels. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing I think we learned is, you know, of course, not a big surprise, but everybody has their own preference on LED design. So some people want the loud and flashy design, like the millennials, right? You're going out to a club, you want something that's really kind of in your face and, and bright and eye-catching. And then what we learned from the baby boomers is they, they don't want that. They want something that's very subtle. Right. You know, it's still a moving animation, but very subtle. Yeah. More elegant. Like the right. first iteration that you had of the Maker Fair, which was just black and had the floating bubbles. Yeah. That, I yeah. find, is something, it's more conducive to wearing out every night, but it was just subtle. You can tell it's technology. You can tell it's quote-unquote alive, but it's not flashy in right. your face. Right, not in your face. I liked it a lot. So, so. speaking about that aspect of it, the personalization, mm. personalization is a big part of the cat clutch, as we were talking about the content displayed on the clutch is actually programmable by your smartphone. So it's yes. an app. maybe if you could talk a little bit about the app you created. Sure, yeah. So like I said, we spent a lot of time interviewing our users and, and what they wanted. And the number one feature was to be able to create your own design, right? So we, you know, we kind of prided ourselves because we'd spent a lot of time with artists and we did some pretty nice designs, you know, I'll, I'll say that. And they liked the designs, but really they want to do their own design, right? They want to personalize it. So we have apps for Android and iOS. I'm still in development. The Android app, actually, right now, you can do your own design on the bag. So it's it's basically you're leveraging the touch display on your phone. Pick your colors, do your design, hit a button, and then instantly that design is uploaded to your bag. So you have like a creator studio. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And then are you thinking about maybe opening up that creator studio so that people could sell their designs to other people, like a little mini marketplace? We've thought about that. That's realistically probably phase two. We may even start to have a way where people can just share them for free just to kind of seed this and, and get things going and then maybe have some premium designs. But now that's a, that's a great idea. Quite a few people have suggested that. We've seen how apps and software have changed consumption modes with hardware products yep. like the iPhone. So, I mean, I think personally that apps and software will change the way we relate to our clothing and accessories because you have this option to do a subscription service. So maybe right. every season you can download the latest colors or have like a Christmas animation. Exactly. I think that there's a big opportunity there. Yep. How do you think, how, how do you see apps and software as evolving business strategies for retail. Do you mean in terms of retail, like buying stuff or? Well, I think, I guess I should say then, how do you think apps and software will interact with wearable technology in the future? Yeah, so I, I think as you, as you touched upon, with something like this, it, it won't just be just the hardware experience. The app is, is a huge part of it, right? So being able to download a new design that goes with the season or maybe you're going to a wedding, right? That was another big one that, that we heard a lot of feedback from. So having a theme design and being able to get those and customize your bag is definitely, we see that as part of the experience as well as the whole social aspect of it, right? Being able to share and, and rate it so you can see, you know, what was the most popular design and, and things like that. Those are all part of our plan. Very cool. Finally, I like to ask people on the program, what do you think fashion can learn from technology mm. and vice versa? What do you think technology can learn from fashion? Yeah, so coming from the tech side, right? So I, I think it's interesting because most of the um, fashion tech people I talk to seem to come from the fashion side. So I'm going kind of going the opposite way. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning about fashion. 
But my observation is I think the technology hasn't been fully tapped. Like you and I were just at Maker Faire and we saw the fashion tech show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some amazing dresses with LEDs, right? Awesome. Fantastic job, right? But it's, it's really just LEDs, right? There was not motion. There was not, you know, not some of these newer OLED displays that are flexible and higher resolution. You didn't see that. They've got materials coming out now that when you apply electrical current, they can change shape. So you could have some sort of shape-shifting thing. So I, I think there's a lot of things that haven't been done yet that could lend themselves very well to fashion. It's just a matter of getting the right people connected that know the tech and the fashion to come up with something compelling. So I think it's the tip of the iceberg from mm -hmm. my perspective. Very good. And so you think, just to sum up what you said, you think that fashion can learn from technology, I guess the tools that are available. And then what do you think tech can learn from fashion? Definitely the user experience. Being an engineer, I think it's not always a priority to have a good UI, right? It's, it's a priority to get something working. And because we're technical people, like we know how to use it, right? So we don't really think about other people and it's not user friendly. And we assume they can figure it out, right? And that, that obviously we know that doesn't work. And that's right. not going to sell. So I think that in general, we have a lot to learn there. And I think you're starting to see products get that and companies get that for some of the previous failures that maybe haven't, you know, you've seen a lot of wearable tech there that hasn't really taken off. So that's probably the main one. Yeah. yeah. So Al, how can people stay in touch with you and follow what Cat Clutch is up to? Sure. So you can find us on the web at our website, catclutch.com. Also give a shout out. We've got a really awesome social media manager, Bertu Belit. And she uh, maintains our Instagram channel and our Facebook channel. And so you'll find both of those links on, on catclutch.com. Of course, you can also just email me direct. It's al at catclutch.com. Perfect. And we'll put all the links up on our website to your website so people can follow you, see images of the clutch. And how can listeners take advantage of that $50 offer? Sure, yeah. So just go to catclutch.com. You'll find a link there called pre-order. And the promo code is stylecheck all one word. So just go there, type in style tech and you'll get 50 bucks off. But people better move fast. Yeah, you got to move fast. So we we're doing an initial run of a hundred. We sold 70 so far. So we've got 30 left. Limited edition cat clutches. All right, Al, thanks so much for being on the program. Thank you. That was my conversation with Al Link, maker and entrepreneur extraordinaire and founder of the cat clutch. For photos of the clutch itself, visit electricrunway.com or check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat at electric underscore runway. As Al mentioned, there's a special discount for Electric Runway subscribers for his limited edition run of the cat clutch. We have details of this on our website as well. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you later on in June. That's it for today's episode. Until next time, here's looking towards the future. Music from today's episode by Andrew Applepie.